President Trump gives a blockbuster State of the Union address. Stacey Abrams responds and Bernie babbles. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, today we're going to go through in detail the State of the Union address, the responses from Bernie Sanders and from Stacey Abrams, and a brief response from Kamala Harris. We're going to go through all of that. Plus, the media are obsessed with Nancy Pelosi clapping because when President Trump gives a good speech, the story is that Nancy Pelosi sat behind him ruffling through papers and clapping. It was, wow, just the unbelievable clappage of, of Nancy Pelosi. We'll get to all of that in just one second. First, let's remember, I know nobody talks about this today, but, you know, our national debt is really, really large. In 2008, the U.S. national debt was $10 trillion. Today, the debt is $22 trillion. It is rising like a hockey stick. If you don't think we're sitting on a house of cards, you're living with your head in the sand. But since you're listening to my podcast, you are clearly smarter than the average American. So what is your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement, like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? It's good to hedge against inflation and hedge against uncertainty and instability with a little bit of diversification into precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified and yours should be as well. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for folks who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. If it's something that you're looking to, if you're looking to hedge against inflation, then gold safeguard savings. I mean, it's just a well-known thing. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group right now. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. Ask all your questions. Get that comprehensive 16-page kit. Find out how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA if that's something you're interested in. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, text BEN to 474747. Again, text BEN, and that's my name, to 474747. Do that right now. Go check out Birch Gold. Really good folks. Okay, so last night, the president gives a State of the Union address. As you recall from yesterday's show, I was looking forward to the State of the Union address the way that I normally look forward to a root canal. It's just not my thing. I don't like the State of the Union address. I think it's a monarchic, stupid institution. I think it's full of silly theatrics. Last night's was uniquely entertaining for a variety of reasons. The number one reason it was uniquely entertaining is because every State of the Union address, we get the game of who stands up, who sits down, who claps, who cheers, how do people respond? And the Democrats did, I thought, a pretty horrendous job of responding to President Trump's speech. It seems that they had a basic rule, which is that they were not going to clap for anything. And then Nancy Pelosi in all of her wisdom, might lead them once in a while in clapping. But President Trump successfully made them look silly in what they chose to clap for and what they did not choose to clap for. Meanwhile, he gave what was one of the best speeches of his career. Now, it was delivered with typical Trump sort of half interest because he was reading from a teleprompter. All of his best moments came when he was off teleprompter, when he was sort of riffing with the room or something would happen and then he'd drop a funny line. And what was weird about the, the entire event is that we live in an extraordinarily politically divided time but it was kind of a feel-good speech. You came away from the speech thinking, okay, well, that was kind of nice, right? Like, everybody seemed to get along, and maybe the country isn't in that much trouble, which is what Trump was going for. So let's jump right into President Trump's State of the Union address. The theme of his address was choosing greatness. That was the, the overarching theme. And his basic idea was that America not only should be great again, but also America has been great in the past. And this is 
a narrative that Trump is on solid ground in talking about because there really are two visions of what America is and has been. There's the Republican vision, the, the conservative vision, which says America was founded on eternal truths and guiding principles. We haven't always lived up to those, but we have always moved toward the better fulfillment of those principles. And we have freed millions of people from slavery and depredation. We have freed billions of people from poverty. In other words, America is a pretty freaking phenomenal place. America is a phenomenal place. And our shortcomings, our attempt to correct those shortcomings is part of, of that story, right? The, the fact that we have not always lived up to our best principles and that we have tried to correct ourselves, that's because we are so incredible. Then there's the Democrat vision of the United States founded in racism, sexism, bigotry, patriarchalism. And we have gradually moved away from that founding toward a better future. But we're not there yet. And America is still kind of a hellhole. And therefore, we need to continue fighting to overcome our past. That's, that's sort of the democratic vision. One is the vision of a, a people that was founded on good ideas and we're constantly trying to better ourselves to live up to those ideas. And one was the and one is the sort of America was founded in sin, rooted in sin, can never escape that sin. Trump laid out that contrast pretty nicely last night. More than anything, Democrats laid out that contrast when they refused to clap for basically obvious ideas about America. So here's President Trump last night talking about choosing greatness. We must choose between greatness or gridlock, results or resistance, vision or vengeance, incredible progress or pointless destruction. Tonight, I ask you to choose greatness. Okay, now it's important to note that this speech was much better written than a lot of his other speeches. So it's pretty obvious Stephen Miller did not write the speech. Stephen Miller's speeches are very, are, are very, they're replete with a dark vision of America, a vision of America where it's carnage and chaos. This speech was all about America being pretty awesome, which as the incumbent president, President Trump needs to make the case for. You can see in the background, if you're watching this, that Nancy Pelosi is ruffling through sheets of paper, which, by the way, is kind of rude. I mean, just if a Republican had done that while President Obama was president, there'd be endless talk about how condescending it was. Nancy Pelosi, however, was deeply condescending last night, and the media cheered it. The media coverage of the State of the Union address, which we will get to in, in a little while here, was as stupid and nonsensical and partisan and biased as, as any coverage I've ever seen of the president, which is to say it was another day in American media. President Trump then started talking about how unemployment rates have dipped to record lows. And again, Democrats refused to cheer for record low unemployment rates. You, you would figure that really that's bad optics. And what they'd really want to say is, yes, unemployment rates have dipped to record lows as part of the continuing success of the Obama economy. Right? Just, all you have to do just politically is say the reason that the economy has continued to boom is because it was already doing well under Obama and it has continued to do well under President Trump. Not the end of the world, but Democrats couldn't even bring themselves to cheer for low black unemployment rates. Unemployment has reached the lowest rate in over half a century. African-American, Hispanic-American, and Asian-American unemployment have all reached their lowest levels ever recorded. Unemployment for Americans with disabilities has also reached an all-time low. Okay, Nancy Pelosi is sitting there not cheering, and there are the Democrats sitting there not standing up, not cheering. So is it a bad thing that people with disabilities are, are working? Uh, weird, weird. Okay, so the Democrats were refusing to cheer for low unemployment rates. They also definitely refused to cheer for putting sex traffickers out of business, which is a weird look. So President Trump says, now it's time for America to end sex trafficking. It's time for America to end illegal immigration that involves human trafficking. And the Democrats are sitting there like, no, we like human trafficking. Now, obviously, they don't like human trafficking, but they don't want to give President Trump any sort of win here, even if what he's speaking about 
is a basic principle of being a human. So watch this. Now is the time for Congress to show the world that America is committed to ending illegal immigration and putting the ruthless coyotes, cartels, drug dealers, and human traffickers out of business. And then there's Kamala Harris shaking her head. Oh, that's terrible. Putting sex traffickers out of business. Wow. She, she's a tough prosecutor, you know. She's a tough prosecutor who really cares about crime rates. She's so tough that she shakes her head when we talk about putting sex traffickers out of business, Kamala Harris. What a delight she is. Okay, so the Democrats definitely showing how, like, Trump should just run endless commercials in 2020 of him saying eminently obvious things and Democrats shaking their heads or refusing to clap. <laughs> that's a pretty good commercial for him against Kamala Harris. We want to put sex traffickers out of business. And Kamala Harris like, no. No, we don't. No, let's not do that. Shaking my head ruefully. Just terrible. And then President Trump got to his illegal immigration pitch in which he said correctly that tolerance for illegal immigration is cruel because what you actually want is lots of legal immigrants and illegal immigration comes with severe human cost. Now, this was pretty amazing. Once again, Democrats refuse to acknowledge that he is correct, that people are damaged in transit when they are brought in by coyotes. So here is President Trump speaking about it. Tolerance for illegal immigration is not compassionate. It is actually very cruel. One in three women is sexually assaulted on the long journey north. Smugglers use migrant children as human pawns to exploit our laws and gain access to our country. Now, one of my favorite media fact checks occurred in about this line of the speech. So President Trump said one in three women is sexually assaulted on the long journey north. Statistics suggest that 31% of women are sexually assaulted on the long journey north, which is about one in three, right? I mean, it's pretty close to one in three. So the fact checker said partly true. Partly fact check, partly true. So in other words, 33% is one in three. It was 31%. He said one in three, and they rated it partly true because the fact checkers are so full of it. The fact checkers are just terrible. I mean, the fact checks of the State of the Union address are so absurd. A woman at the New York Times, we'll see later that President Trump suggests that a Jew who was freed from Dachau, a death camp during the Holocaust, saw American soldiers coming from the sky and thought they came from heaven. And a fact checker from the New York Times said, Jews don't believe in heaven. It's like, well, you had one job, guys. We, we sort of do. We sort of do. And President Trump continued. He talked about walls working. He spends an awful lot of time in the speech talking about illegal immigration. And then his conclusion was walls work, which obviously is his main campaign pitch, because in about a week and a half here, we're going to go into possible second government shutdown or him declaring a national emergency. So here's him making that case. Simply put, walls work and walls save lives. So let's work together, compromise and reach a deal that will truly make America safe. Okay, and the Democrats won't cheer for that. So we have to recap. Democrats will not cheer for making America safe through compromise. Democrats will not cheer for low unemployment for blacks, Hispanics, Asian Americans, and Americans with disabilities. Americans, they will not cheer for ending sex trafficking. What will, you ask yourself, what will Democrats cheer for? What do Democrats, what do they like? And it turns out that what Democrats will cheer for is themselves. They love themselves. Just like Jim Acosta loves Jim Acosta, Democrats love themselves and Democrats. It was an appalling display. It was, th this was truly appalling. So President Trump talks about high employment among women. And I guess we're not allowed to cheer for black, black employment or Hispanic employment or Asian employment or dis disabled people employment. We are able to cheer only 
for people with vaginas employment. Although maybe that's overstated because some men are women, as we've learned. So people who identify as women employment. That we are allowed to cheer for because women are so put upon in American society. Women have it so rough in American society. We say, as we look at the Speaker of the House, who is a woman sitting behind the President of the United States during the State of the Union Address. I'm gonna play you the self-serving, gross, congratulatory nonsense that the Democrats participated in last night. It made them look particularly bad and it exposed their vision of America that is false and truly morally off-putting. I mean, I was really off-put by this, and I think a lot of people were. I'll show you in just one second. First, let's talk about the underwear that grace your tuchus at this very moment. If your big Valentine's Day surprise consists of sushi from the grocery store, it's time for you to rethink what a Valentine's Day gift can be with Tommy John, the most comfortable underwear for everyone on the planet. It's a gift that's not only unexpected, but genuinely needed. Tommy John is redefining comfort for men and women with luxuriously soft, feather-light, moisture-wicking underwear that moves with you, not against you. With no pinching, no bunching, no riding up, it's no wonder Tommy John has sold over 6 million pairs. No wedgies either, which would have been super helpful to me in high school. If you're still looking for a Valentine's Day gift, their limited edition loungewear and underwear, including matching his and hers sets, are the perfect alternative to boring and played-out cliche gifts. Last year, the limited edition collection sold out in less than a week. So do not wait until the last minute. And with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee, if you don't love that first pair, you get a full refund. So there is no excuse not to buy the gift of comfort they truly deserve. Shop limited edition Valentine's Day gift sets right now. Get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. That's TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. TommyJohn.com slash Ben for 20% off only at TommyJohn.com. TommyJohn.com. I know it's great because it is upon my tuchus at this very instant. TommyJohn.com slash Ben for 20% off. Okay, so the key moment of the entire night. President Trump has been unable to unify the Democrats and the Republicans about anything. President Trump has been unable to get Democrats to clap for anything up to and including more black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, and people with disabilities working. They will not cheer for anything. But then he stumbles on the one thing Democrats will cheer for, Democrat women will cheer for, these fighters for the underclass. What will they cheer for? Themselves. So here was this self-congratulatory, girl power, bachelorette party nonsense that happened at the State of the Union address last night. No one has benefited more from a thriving economy than women who have filled 58% of the newly created jobs last year. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. And exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. And there they are cheering themselves. Yay, we love us. We're the best. AOC turns around and she actually gives an air high five to no one. It, really, that happens. They're, they're cheering. They're dancing. They're, they're, they're so happy about it. They love them. My goodness, the obstacles they've overcome. My goodness, what, what a place America is because these women were elected. Okay, this is off-putting garbage. The reason it's off-putting garbage is because if we are going to talk about the privileges that people have been given in the United States, it is a privilege to be born a woman in the United States today. America is the freest country in world history, the most upwardly mobile country for women in world history. This notion that women are uniquely put upon in American society is sheer statistical nonsense. It is just not true. And not only is it not true, the, the absurdity of these women declaring themselves heroes. Look at what we've achieved. Look at what we've done. Because look how great, look how much we've had to over... What has AOC had to overcome? 
Like a thing. I'm not asking like many things. I'm asking like a thing. She's a 29-year-old bartender with no credentials and no capacity to understand basic economics. She sits in Congress and is extraordinarily famous. What's the obstacle she had to overcome? Why are we cheering this as though this is something unique in American life? As though she is the, the, she's breaking a glass ceiling. It's just not true. It's just not true. And it does show the vision that, that Democrats have for the country. Okay, I want to talk about this in just a second. Democrats see America as a very different place than Republicans see America. So as I say, Republicans see America as a place with eternal truths. Truths like we are all created equal in the eyes of God. Like we all have equal rights. And we have imperfectly applied that rule, but we have moved toward the application of that rule. Women were given the vote more than a century ago. Okay, women have been in politics for a very long time. Women constitute the majority of voters. They constitute the majority of college graduates. They constitute the vast majority of people who gain new jobs in the current economic upsurge. Women have had more wage mobility in the last 30 years than men have in the United States. Women are not victims. And this notion that Democrats are pushing that women have overcome now because lots of women were elected to Congress. Oh, look at us. We are just so awesome. It's so funny. AOC will say that she has cisgender privilege. That she, because she's a cisgender woman, she has privilege. We all have to acknowledge our privilege, white privilege and, and, and male privilege, the, the privilege of the patriarchy. But nobody in the Democratic Party will acknowledge the greatest privilege of all, which is that they stand on the shoulders of people who actually made sacrifices, people who actually had to overcome, people who actually were part of the American story, making America better, sitting around and championing yourselves as overcoming some sort of victimhood when you've experienced no victimhood is a mark of ingratitude and nastiness. There are people in that room who had to live through the civil rights movement and actually did heroic work. I'm talking about people with whom I disagree harshly on politics. People like John Lewis, who actually had to live through the civil rights movement and were, and were deeply influential in helping make the country a better place. Those people, if you, if you say John Lewis sits in American Congress, that's something to cheer about. AOC sits in American Congress. Oh, let's cheer because women are in Congress now. I'm sorry. There was nothing that was overcome here. Nothing. There was no barrier to entry for, for women in Congress. There is nothing uniquely amazing about what just happened in the last election. I know we're supposed to pretend that women broke through a glass ceiling. There was no glass ceiling in American politics. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote in the last election cycle. She was secretary of state. Condoleezza Rice was secretary of state. Sarah Palin ran for vice president. Nancy Pelosi. This is not her first round as speaker of the House. She was speaker of the House 12 years ago. Can we stop pretending now that women are massively victimized in American society by the patriarchal hierarchy and that the only thing worthy of cheering is these Democrats cheering themselves? It shows an utter, incredible ingratitude. You know, President Trump spent a lot of his speech last night, we'll get to it, paying homage to the heroes of the past who actually had to overcome obstacles. You know, the people who stormed the beaches of Normandy, the civil rights workers who had to be attacked by dogs in order to try and gain the capacity to even vote under the law. Those are heroes. Those are people you cheer. You don't cheer yourself just because you're a woman and you happen to be in Congress because you won 15,000 votes in a primary against Joe Crowley in a majority minority district. That does not, it doesn't wash. And not only that, it promotes this, this, again, this vicious idea that America is still a place filled with boundaries that must be overcome, particularly for women. And that is just, it's just nonsense. And it's self-serving nonsense too. It, it, it's so arrogant, honestly, to, to cheer your own achievement when you haven't achieved anything. Or at least if your achievement is not in spite of a great obstacle. Listen, I, I'm not somebody who's had to overcome a lot of obstacles. I've never said I am. I am grateful to live in a country where I don't have the obstacles of war and discrimination to overcome. I'm deeply grateful for that. 
my great privilege in the United States is I have two great privileges. One, I grew up with great parents. And two, I grew up in the greatest country in the history of mankind, bar none. Those are my privileges. My privilege is that I grew up on the back of giants, on the shoulders of giants. Nobody in the Democratic Party is willing to acknowledge that. The sacrifices of the past mean nothing because America is still a place filled with obstacles and difficulties. And it's so hard for women in America. It's just not true. It's just not true. Uh, frankly, I'm kind of astonished at the lack of intersectional understanding on the part of these Democratic women. Like from a left perspective, if you are going to rank victimized groups in the United States, women come in close to last as a victimized group in the United States. If you're going to cheer anything and celebrate anything, presumably you would be celebrating black employment rates. On the intersectional hierarchy, black ranks higher than female. But the only thing these Democrats were getting up and cheering is, oh, we're women and girl power. And wow, we've done something unique. You haven't done anything. I'm sorry. You, you, you haven't. Also, there is a, a very anti-transgender element to all of this, which is if you believe that gender is a social construct, then why does it matter whether women are elected to Congress or not? If gender is just something that we made up, then why are we cheering for women being elected to Congress? All of this was really off-putting, and it cut against the... And also, it was a smart play by Trump, because now he's got a bunch of women standing and cheering for him. Now, the media tried to unspin this. The media tried to say, well, they were kind of self-mocking Trump. They were trying to mock Trump because most of these women were Democrats. There's an idiotic fact check that said, President Trump said, we have more women serving in Congress than ever before. Fact check. They're all Democrats. Did Trump say they were Republicans? He didn't. Right? All this is is an attempt to spin away from a bad optic moment for the Democrats because, again, Democrats will not stand for low black unemployment rates, but they will stand for we're awesome and we love us and here we are dancing and doing karaoke night in the middle of Congress. Really off-putting, really kind of, honestly, kind of morally despicable. Like, like patting yourself on the back while failing to, you want to check your privilege? Check your privilege. Ladies, check your privilege. You grew up in the, in the freest, richest country in world history, the most free country for women in world history. Check your privilege. Stop pretending that you, you did it yourself. You didn't build that, as you might say. This was not you. You didn't build it. All your forebears built it. You might want to think about that before you start standing up and cheering for what, what wonderful things that you've done when legitimately you've done nothing except run for office and then win. Congratulations. You're just like everybody else in that chamber who ran for office and won. Okay, President Trump continued, and then he got into the, the red meat section for, for Republicans. And this is the first time I've ever heard anybody in, in Republican politics say the correct thing about abortion. Here is the president of the United States going on about abortion, as was appropriate to do. One of the, one of the only flaws in this speech, well, there, there, we'll get to the bad stuff in the speech in a second, but one of the big flaws in the speech is that a lot of the best material was backloaded. So he started off with this very, very long windup about how great things are in America, how unemployment is low. And this went on for a solid 35 to 40 minutes. And then he finally got to the part where he can throw punches. And the throwing of the punches was obviously the best part. Trump is a hammer. You got to let Trump be a hammer. They did let him do that last night. And when he did it, it was great. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, let's talk about another Valentine's Day gift that you should be considering. Okay, you should certainly be considering 1-800-Flowers.com. This one's a no-brainer. Every time I travel, I send my wife flowers via 1-800-Flowers.com because I am that sort of husband. You too can be that sort of husband when you go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, roses from 1-800-Flowers are on sale. If you order early, you can get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or order it double for 36 stems. Enchanted Roses for $20 more. This is an unbelievable offer from 1-800-Flowers. Again, 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double the roses for $20 more, which is a spectacular deal. They are 
amazing roses, really. Roses from 1-800-Flowers. They're picked at their peak. They're shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement. The 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double to 36 roses for 20 bucks more. It's an amazing offer, but it expires today. You have to do it like right now because they are backlogged. So you need to order this right now to make sure the roses get there on time and you get access to the deal. To order that 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $29.99 or double the roses for 20 bucks more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. That is 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. Go check it out right now. 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. These things stay fresh longer than the stuff you get at the grocery store. They are high quality. Bouquet prices are going up soon, so you need to take advantage right now at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. 1-800-Flowers.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so... Then President Trump got to his punch-throwing section of the night, and this was wonderful. Here was President Trump going after the Democrats on abortion. There could be no greater contrast to the beautiful image of a mother holding her infant child than the chilling displays our nation saw in recent days. Lawmakers in New York cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb moments from birth. These are living, feeling, beautiful babies who will never get the chance to share their love and their dreams with the world. And then we had the case of the governor of Virginia, where he stated he would execute a baby after birth to defend the dignity of every person I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit the late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in the mother's womb. Let us work together to build a culture that cherishes innocent life. And let us reaffirm a fundamental truth. All children, born and unborn, are made in the holy image of God And Democrats sit there, nothing, nothing, of course, of course. So lots of cheering for women elected to Congress, no cheering for children are made in the image of God. So I think their priorities are obviously in line. One of the best moments of the night was President Trump going after socialism. So whoever wrote his speech did a great job with this because there is a fault line in the Democratic Party. Most of the Democrats are fine with the idea of sort of democratic socialism along the lines of Bernie Sanders or AOC. They're fine with it, right? They, they like a lot of these Medicare for all ideas. They just don't want to admit it publicly. And here is the fault line. A lot of Democrats who are kind of the older, wiser Democrats understand Americans instinctively don't like socialism, that Americans think that socialism is replete with economic oppression and tyranny, which of course is true. And so President Trump goes directly after socialism. And you have to notice the variant responses of Nancy Pelosi and AOC and Bernie. So Trump is about to rip into socialism and Nancy Pelosi sits back there and gives like a soft clap, the soft clap, because she has to demonstrate to people that she is not in favor of socialism. And then there's a slow pan in on Bernie Sanders as the Curb Your Enthusiasm music plays in the background. And it's pretty spectacular. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. 
And there's Nancy Pelosi turning the background a little bit. And there's Bernie Sanders looking very trepidatious. I mean, it's, listen, I know Bernie's uncomfortable. He's only comfortable really when he's shirtless singing in the USSR in the 1980s. That's really where Bernie is, is most comfortable. But Bernie looking very uncomfortable there after a life of uselessness in public life, being told that his dreams may not be achieved. President Trump also went after Iran, talked about their anti-Semitism. The Democrats refused to cheer for that. The best moment of the night, honestly, the best moment of the night is when the entire Congress sang happy birthday to a Holocaust survivor. What was great about the speech is that it reminded Americans that this is a great country. I mean, not just a good country, a great country, the greatest country in world history. And this was a great moment. It's a Holocaust survivor named Judas Amet. He survived the Tree of Life massacre this year. And today, yesterday was his birthday. The entire Congress got up and sang him happy birthday. Okay, think about that guy's life. Think about this. You grow up in Europe in a time of Nazi oppression. You are sent to a death camp, a concentration camp. You are liberated by American troops. And then you end up in Congress 60, 70 years later after having survived a shooting by a white supremacist. And the entire Congress, the elected officials of the United States sing you happy birthday. What an amazing country this is. Well, that, that's what had this clip 10. Here is President Trump talking about Judas Amet. Tonight, we are also joined by Pittsburgh survivor Judah Samet. He arrived at the synagogue as the massacre began. But not only did Judah narrowly escape death last fall, more than seven decades ago, he narrowly survived the Nazi concentration camps. Today is Judah's 81st birthday. There's Trump conducting. I mean, that, that is a great moment. That's a great moment. And th- this is an amazing country. And that was really the theme of Trump's speech. You know, that, again, embrace greatness. This is a great country. The people who came before us are great. It's that latter point that Democrats refuse to acknowledge. The people who came before us had greatness in ways that we don't have, and we stand on their shoulders. That's what makes the country great. A little bit of gratitude would go a long way, but Democrats can't acknowledge their American privilege. Check your privilege, Democrats. Acknowledge your American privilege. In a second, I want to get to the low points from President Trump's speech because there was some there's a lot of great stuff and there's a little bit of bad stuff, so we'll get to the bad stuff. We will also get to Stacey Abrams' response and the execrable media response, which is just egregious, as you would expect. But first, let's talk about Sherry's Berries. Okay, Valentine's Day this year, I've already talked to you about some gifts you can get. I will tell you something that will astonish her, okay? I know this because I just did this for my wife. It's unbelievable. So Sherry's Berries is incredible. They have kosher products. I brought some of those kosher products home. My wife and my kids plowed through that stuff like, wow. And it is delicious, okay? I'm telling you, this is some of the best dessert you have ever had in your life. You'll never go wrong with their signature dipped Valentine's strawberries dipped in milk, dark, or white chocolatey goodness for any discerning palate. She will fall in love with every bite, topped with decadent toppings, chocolate chips, hearts, glitter sparkles, always fresh, always tasty, and they have other stuff too. Their kosher stuff, it's like cookies covered in chocolatey goodness, and they've got caramels covered in chocolate. I mean, it's just, un- this stuff is unreal. It's, it's some of the best dessert you will ever have. I am not just saying this because they're an advertiser on the program. Legitimately, we went over to somebody's house on Shabbat, and we didn't know what to bring them for a gift. And my wife, after having had Sherry's Berries, she's like, there's only one gift we can bring. It's Sherry's Berries. Their Valentine's arrive fresh with a 100% Sherry's Berries guarantee. Ship anywhere nationally, giving something sweet to your long-distance love. Right now, they're giving you the Valentine's Day gift 
of your dreams starting at $19.99 plus shipping and handling. So it's great. Not only are you getting amazing, amazing chocolatey goodness, you are also not spending a ton of money. So two of my favorite things, great gifts for not a huge price. Right now, order and you get double the berries for just 10 bucks more. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, enter my code BENSHOW at checkout. That is berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click the microphone and enter promo code BENSHOW. Order today. You're not going to regret it. Stuff's unreal. It's so good. Okay, so we're going to get to the rest of President Trump's speech, Stacey Abrams' response. You're going to need to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe right now for the rest of that live. So last night we had a State of the Union coverage party. We had lots of people watching. Only subscribers could ask the questions. We have two additional hours of me every day. You're only going to be able to get on demand without commercials when you become a subscriber. So what are you waiting for? You need to go subscribe right now for $9.99 a month over at dailywire.com. When you spend $99 a year, you also get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. Cast your eyes upon it. The leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Magnificent. Go check that out right now. Also subscribe at YouTube or iTunes. We have a Sunday special coming out every week. All sorts of wonderful things just for you. Become a subscriber. It helps support us and make sure that we can say what we want to say and when we need to say it. Go check us out right now at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Now, I'd be remiss. I've talked a lot about a lot of the good stuff from Trump's speech. And overall, this was, for President Trump, I thought it was the best speech of his career. It was certainly the best written speech of his career. There were moments that he delivered really, really well. President Trump on teleprompter is better than President Trump off teleprompter. President Trump on teleprompter punctuated by a couple of jokes where he's playing to the audience is great, is great. So there are a lot of high points here. As somebody this morning described it as a grand slam to me, I said it was a three-run homer. The only reason I'm not calling it a grand slam is because President Trump did have some, some clunkers. So a couple of his clunkers. He talked at one point about how America is thriving. And then in a line that he clearly wrote himself, he decided to talk about congressional investigations of him. This was a real clunker. It was a mistake. President Trump should be saying, listen, I'm above these investigations. They can try and investigate me up the wazoo. They're not going to find anything. This is, this is all of which, do all of that. But at the State of the Union address, trying to suggest that the country is going to fail if you are investigated looks defensive. And it looks as though you're afraid of the investigations. It was a mistake. President Trump did some of that last night. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. And Republicans don't know whether to clap or whether not to clap because the investigations are going to go forward no matter what. This looked self-serving and it was petty for the president. It was a bad moment for him. Okay, other bad moments. He, he did talk at one point about sentencing laws that he said wrongly and disproportionately harmed the African-American community. I think the evidence for that is extraordinarily scanty and it seems pandering to me. Another one of his worst moments is when he suggested that we'd be in the middle of a major war with the North Koreans with potentially millions killed. Here's President Trump suggesting that if not for him, we'd now be in a shooting war with, the, with Kim Jong-un, which is obviously not true. As part of a bold new diplomacy, we continue our historic push for peace on the Korean Peninsula. Our hostages have come home. Nuclear testing has stopped, and there has not been a missile launch in more than 15 months. If I had not been elected President of the United States, we would right now, in my opinion, be in a major war with North Korea. Okay, the evidence for that is extraordinarily non-existent. So a few bad moments for President Trump. Basically, the places where you figure Trump actually inserted the line himself 
Not great stuff. But overall, very good speech for President Trump. Now, the Democratic response. Stacey Abrams gives the Democratic response. She's the failed Democratic gubernatorial candidate in Georgia. She's a very talented speaker. Her delivery was excellent. Now, what was weird about it, just in terms of optics, is that she had a group of apparently children of the corn standing behind her during this speech and poorly lit. So it looked like they were all in the shadows and she was standing in front of them. It was a very kind of weird optic. She delivered the speech really well, but her message was discordant. So President Trump's entire speech was about unity, the greatness of American history, the fact that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And Stacey Abrams' entire speech is about how America is still a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad place and how nothing has really changed from the past. So she started off by talking about the, this is always the divide in sort of democratic thinking. They want to say things like America is the land of opportunity, but then they want to take it back. So here's her talking about how America is a land of opportunity, and then you'll hear her take it back in a second. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Okay, all of that is true. All of that is true. But there, there, there is one problem. When she says, you know, when times are tough, we persevere because our friends and neighbors come for us. That's true. That's, that's called a voluntary association. Everyone on the Republican side of the aisle is in agreement with that. What Democrats want is for our friends and neighbors not to come for us. They want the government to come for us. Then she got to her real message and her real message that America kind of blows, that America's got some real problems and that America's kind of a sucky place. And for all of the talk about how America's a land of opportunity, it really isn't for particular minority groups. So clip three, she suggests that voter suppression is real. This is a lie. Voter suppression is not real. Blacks represent a, a, a well-turned-out group of voters. They overrepresented in 2008. They overrepresented in 2012. In 2016, blacks showed up to vote at precisely the same rate as everybody else. In the Georgia race, blacks showed up to vote at an extraordinarily high race. The idea that, that votes were being suppressed in Georgia, there is no evidence to back this. This is just more evidence that Stacey Abrams believes that she was wrongfully deprived of a gubernatorial seat in Georgia that she clearly lost. Brian Kemp won that seat. He did. And all of her lies about how she was robbed of the seat are just that they're lies. But here she is, again, underscoring the idea that America is kind of a crappy place. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. Okay, and then she gets to her real point, which is that not much has changed. And this is the big issue. Again, President Trump says that things have changed in the past because great people were there in the past to help push change along and we can be part of that history. And that America has always been a place where good has overcome evil, even if it's taken too long in some cases. Stacey Abrams' case is that not much has changed. So here, is she, here she is talking about how America, because it was rooted in racism and sin, can never really get over that racism and sin and nothing has changed. If you really believe nothing has changed in America since 1960, I would just urge you to take a look at Stacey Abrams, who nearly became governor of Georgia. Yes, some things have changed in the United States. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. 
America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. Right, so this is her intersectionality point that we discussed on yesterday's show. This is, this is her intersectionality idea that policies she doesn't like are attacks on specific minority groups, and those minority groups must unify in order to beat back those attacks. It's a lie, it's untrue, and it's a false depiction of the United States. So that's a conflict of visions that we're going to see in 2020. President Trump talking about how America is great, has been great, is based on great ideals, and Democrats suggesting that America was never great, was filled with terror and horror, and continues to be filled with terror and horror that can only be cured when we recognize the intersectional ideal. Right? That's going to be the big conflict. In a second, we're going to get into Bernie Sanders' response. So Bernie, gave, Senator Sanders, gave his response to the State of the Union address last night, which made him a racist, obviously, because you have people like Stacey Abrams giving a speech. That means that he's stepping on a black woman by giving his own State of the Union response, despite the fact that this is the third straight year he's done it. Again, the intersectional politics of the Democratic Party is sick, and it's, it's stupid, counterproductive. Bernie supposedly did a very, very bad thing by speaking on the same night as Stacey Abrams. So Bernie's shtick was basically socialism is great, right? So he, after being, after being basically scorched by President Trump in the State of the Union, then this crazy old loon bag gets on TV and he suggests that socialism is indeed great because socialism already exists for wealthy people, which is a weird thing to say. This country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. Weird. How did the poor people become rich? I mean, let's assume that he's right. Let's assume that when you're, when you're really rich, that you get the benefit of certain government programs, which obviously is untrue, by the way. The rich pay an enormous amount in taxes. The poor pay virtually nothing in the United States. The rich pay all net taxes. They don't get any benefits back from the government. The poor pay no taxes and get tremendous tax benefits from the government. They get all sorts of welfare benefits from the government. But let's assume for a second that he wasn't lying, which I know it's a big assumption. When he says the country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor, weird, because lots of poor people become rich. So what made them rich? Was it the socialism or the rugged individualism? Interesting. Interesting. And then he said, people are not truly free until they get a bunch of free stuff from the government because freedom is stuff. This is an interesting take and and it does demonstrate the wide variance between the left's view of rights and the right's view of rights. People are not truly free when they can't afford to go to the doctor when they are sick. People are not truly free when they cannot afford to buy the prescription drugs they desperately need. People are not truly free when they are unable to retire with dignity. Okay, so this is the Marxist credo. The Marxist credo is if we give you a bunch of stuff and you have a bunch of material stuff, now you're free. But when you are poor, you are not free. The right says you're free when people are not oppressing you. You're free when people are not setting the rules to, to victimize you. You are free when no one is telling you what to do. Freedom, in other words, is being left alone. For the left, freedom is being given a bunch of stuff. Once you have a bunch of stuff, that's what makes you free. That is a conflict in visions, and that too will be fought out in 2020. Although, honestly, I think the intersectional battle will probably be fought out more prominently in 2020 than the socialism versus capitalism ideal because I think both parties have fallen into the trap of believing that the baseline of freedom is a certain amount of material prosperity, which I don't think is true. Freedom is not about material prosperity. Material prosperity is the result of freedom. Freedom is not the result of material prosperity. Material prosperity is the result of freedom. Meanwhile, Kamala Harris gave kind of a pre-State of the Union address in which she basically tried to split the baby between Stacey Abrams' intersectionality and Bernie Sanders' socialism. And she did it you know, pretty well. I think she's got to be seen as the front runner in the Democratic Party right now. 
Here's her, this is what her pitch is going to be in 2020. I want everyone to remember this. The strength of our union has never been found in the walls we build. It's in our diversity and our unity. And that is our power. We also need our leaders to speak truth about the threat of climate change, about our broken criminal justice system, about our weakened position in the world, and about the realities of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and transphobia. Okay, so she's going full intersectional. First of all, she's going to need to explain how our strength is in both our diversity and our unity, when the only sort of diversity that she recognizes is racial diversity. She's going to have to explain that. Because it's true that diversity can be a good thing in a context where we have the same common goals, but she doesn't articulate any of those common goals. Her common goal is to divide us into these various categories and then declare that everybody is a victim group. So that's going to be her pitch in 2020. In other words, there's going to be a very clear conflict in 2020. You're going to have to pick a side. Americans are going to have to pick a side. Is America based on greatness? Are we rooted in greatness? And are we ever striving to reach the eternal truth that the founders laid out? Or is America based in evil, vileness, and now we have to divide Americans into little subgroups so that we can battle it out and tear down that hierarchy? That's really the battle that we're talking about. Now, the media response to all of this is insane and stupid. The number one piece over at the Washington Post today is called Queen of Condescending Applause. Nancy Pelosi clapped at Trump and the internet lost it. So she's a hero for her clapping. You knew this was going to happen, right? You knew that before this ever happened, it was all going to be about how Nancy Pelosi was sophisticated. She's the notorious Nancy Pelosi. What a man, what a, what a woman she is standing up to a man like Donald Trump by clapping politely. Wow. As late night host Seth Meyers reminded his audience during Tuesday's special live coverage of the speech, there's a long history of the people sitting behind the president getting as much attention as the president himself. This year, says the Washington Post, was no exception. In a single fleeting moment, shown only for seconds on live broadcasts, but immortalized in photos and gifs, Pelosi became the Internet's newest obsession for clapping. Pelosi managed to limit her reactions to subtle head shaking, pursed lips and eye rolls. But when Trump, who has been accused of exacerbating deep divisions, declared, we must reject the politics of revenge, resistance and retribution and embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise and the common good, she appeared unable to hold back. Rising from her seat, along with others in attendance, Pelosi began applauding with her arms oddly extended out toward the president. When Trump turned toward her in the pair locked eyes, Pelosi, still clapping, appeared to smirk. Oh, man, look at how she she showed him with her clapping. Wow. And so this is this is the media coverage. Well done, media. Also, you got to love objective reporters like Anderson Cooper coming back from Stacey Abrams's response to the State of the Union. Here was Anderson Cooper. The Democratic response being given by uh, Stacey Abrams, a former gubernatorial candidate uh, in the, the state of, uh, of Georgia. Um, I like that one better. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so much journalisming. Yeah, just journalisming all over the place there from Anderson Cooper. Very solid stuff. So the media obviously are going to try and twist what was a popular speech into an unpopular speech by polling data. According to CNN, snap poll, 59% of Americans like the speech. Vast majority of independents like the speech. According to a CBS News poll, it was 76% of Americans like the speech. So now Democrats are going to try and pick it apart, pretend that it wasn't good, pretend that it was actually divisive and dark. The media coverage is so wildly biased that it's almost impossible to parody. And, you know, President Trump is going to have to fight against that, which means he's got to get on the campaign trail. That's exactly what he's doing. He's headed down to El Paso for his first rally next week. And he should. He needs to be on the campaign trail full time now because he's fighting not just against the Democrats. He is fighting against the media that despises him. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. 
I do love this story. I love it. So Elizabeth Warren has been spending years saying she never called herself Native American officially for any sort of government benefit or for any reason. And she just would tell the story of how she had Native American heritage, even though she really didn't have Native American heritage. Well, yesterday it came out that she did, in fact, identify herself as a Native American for almost two decades. And there was a release of her registration card for the State Bar of Texas. And it says directly on her registration card, signed by Elizabeth Warren, race, American Indian. So I want, if, if she filled out that form by calling herself American Indian, you think maybe she did in some of her other official forms that we are no longer able to obtain? Maybe. And Warren apologized again. So this is her second apology over, over all of this. It's actually her third, right? She apologized a while back for having made this an issue, quasi apologized for it. Then she apologized after her ridiculous DNA test, and now she's apologizing for a third time. She says, I can't go back, but I am sorry for furthering confusion on tribal sovereignty and tribal citizenship and harm that resulted. Well, you are involved in the Rachel Dolezal's, uh, Rachel Dolezaling of Native Americans. So that's probably a career ender for Elizabeth Warren. Well done, Elizabeth Warren. Ruined on the shoulders of her own attempt to be part of the intersectional club. We bid a fond farewell. Uh, to to and and as the smoke signals recede into the distance as she rides across the plains of Oklahoma, we we say goodbye to Elizabeth Warren. Okay, other things that I like today. So if you're just in the in the mood for some relaxation today, then pick up a bit of the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number no. One Second Movement. This is Vladimir Ashkenazi playing it. We just need a little bit of soothing music, don't you think? I think so. Here, here's a little bit of that. I could just play this for like another hour because it's fantastic, but go check it out yourself. That is Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. 1, Second Movement. Okay, a couple of pieces of breaking news that are just spectacular. Breaking news number one. Oh, it's so glorious. It's so glorious. Mark Herring is the Attorney General of the state of Virginia. Yes, 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 yes. He's the Attorney General of the state of Virginia. Now, let's recall. Ralph Northam is in serious trouble, the governor of Virginia. Why? Well, number one, he talked about infanticide, but no one cares about that. Second, there was a photograph in his yearbook from 1985 in which either he or one of his friends is dressed in blackface and either he or one of his friends is dressed in a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Yeah, that was bad. So then they were like, okay, let's get rid of him. Then Justin Fairfax is next in line, right? He's the lieutenant governor of the state. And it turns out that he is in mesh now in an accusation of sexual, uh, sexual assault. NBC News is reporting just moments ago that Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax used profane language in a private meeting Monday night while referring to his accuser, Dr. Vanessa Tyson. Two sources tell us Fairfax said of Tyson, F that B word. Yeah, this is going to go real well for him. So who's next in line after Justin Fairfax? Like who's next? Yesterday, I suggested that it might be Gritty, the, the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. It is not, in fact. It is the attorney general of the state of Virginia, a man named Mark Herring. So he would be next in line. Also a Democrat. One problem. You released a statement today. <laughs> you released a statement today, and here's what it says. I am sure we have all done things at one time or another in our lives that show poor judgment, or worse yet, have caused some level of pain to others. 
I have a glaring example from my past that I have thought about with deep regret in the many years since. And certainly each time I took a step forward in public service, realizing that my goals and this memory could someday collide and cause pain for people I care about. In 1980, when I was a 19-year-old undergraduate in college, some friends suggested we attend a party dressed like rappers we listened to at the time, like Curtis Blow, and perform a song. It sounds ridiculous even now writing it, but because of our ignorance and glib attitudes and because we did not have an appreciation for the experiences and perspectives of others, we dressed up and put on wigs and brown makeup. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so the Democrats... And their no repentance, <laughs> they're Democrats and their no repentance standard means that they're going to get rid of the governor and then they're going to get rid of the lieutenant governor and then the attorney general they're going to get rid of. So who's fourth in line? Anybody know? Like, really? Matt Walsh just tweeted out, OK, fine, I'll just be governor of Virginia. Like, <laughs> Woo! Ah, man. So apparently, I guess everybody in Virginia just dressed up in blackface in like the 1980s. I guess that was like just a thing everybody did. But again, that's sort of the point, right? That this was a thing that people, they were dressing up as various characters like Michael Jackson or rappers because people didn't think that that was racist at the time because it may have been racially insensitive and ignorant, but it wasn't racist at the time. But now because we have to judge everybody by the standards of knowledge and understanding and sensitivity we all have now, we're now going to toss out every politician from the 1980s. Well done, Democrats. So you've now knocked out your own governor, your own lieutenant governor, and now your attorney general. Well done, man. So Republicans, it turns out, don't even have to win elections anymore. All they have to do is just wait for everyone who is a Democrat who dressed up as a rapper in 1982 to come out with that news. Oh, solid stuff right there. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty amazing. OK, time for a thing that I hate. So I, I, I talked about this yesterday on my radio show. This is why you should subscribe so you have access to my radio show. But if you don't, I'm going to talk about it again now. Cory Booker is just the worst. Cory Booker is a, is a trash heap. He's just a trash heap. He, he, acts like, he overacts like Nicolas Cage and has the intellect of a turnip. Uh, Cory Booker also happens to be a discriminatory jackass when it comes to religious people. So Naomi Rao is a nominee to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. She's of Indian heritage. And she also happens to be a Christian. She was specifically asked by Cory Booker about her views on the sinfulness of homosexual activity. This has nothing to do with her job. Okay? I view as a religious person, as a religious person, homosexual activity is a sin. I also view premarital sex as a sin. I view adultery as a sin. I view breaking Sabbath for a Jew as a sin, right? As a religious person, I have a lot of feelings on sin. Does that have anything to do with my public policy? Of course not. Does it have anything to do with even who I am friends with or people I associate with? No, it has nothing to do with those things. Okay, but according to Cory Booker, if you're a religious person who believes in the concept of sin, therefore you must be forcibly expelled from any possibility of serving in the federal government. So here's Cory Booker grilling Naomi Rao on her personal views on the sinfulness of homosexuality. Are gay relationships, in your opinion, immoral? Um, Senator, um, I'm not sure you know the relevance of that to you know I mean. I, I think relevant your opinion. If you think African-American relationships are immoral, do you think gay relationships are immoral? Do you personally uh, believe that gay no, relationships? No, I do not. You do not believe that? No. Do you, do you believe they're a sin? Uh, Senator, you know, my, my personal views on any of these subjects are, are, are things I would put to one side and I would faithfully... So you're not willing to say here that whether, what you're, whether you believe it is sinful for a man, uh, two men to be married. You're not, you're not willing to comment on that? Yes, you know, Senator, uh, no. Okay, and the answer is, of course, no. 
Of course, no. But Cory Booker is a bigot. And so he thinks that if she believes something is sinful, therefore, she can't be a federal judge. And later, Ted Cruz said exactly that. Like, you're not allowed to do this. The Constitution forbids religious tests. And Cory Booker said, I would die to protect that woman's religious rights. Yeah, you go for it, Spartacus. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Captain Googly Eyes Nicholas Cage, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that you would die for her rights to religious practice, even while you are condemning her, her views of, of sin. I mean, it's just gross. It's just gross. Now, the truth is, and this occurred to me last night when thinking about this, that Cory Booker is actually using his own views of sin as a substitute for Naomi Rouse. What I mean by that is that religious people believe a lot of people commit a lot of sins and that you can still have relationships with them. You can still talk with them. You don't have to embed your views of sin in public policy. Religious people believe all these things. But Democrats believe that if something is a sin, the government should forbid it. They believe that if something is a sin, if something is bad, the government should step in and stop it. So he, I, I really think that Cory Booker fully cannot comprehend how Naomi Rao could think homosexual activity is a sin and also not be interested in having the government stop homosexual activity. Because when you believe that government is God and it's God's job to punish sin, you don't understand how it is that somebody else could believe something is a sin and the government has no role at all. So Cory Booker being a religious bigot, well done, Democrats. This is, this is your party now. So congratulations. All right, well, we will be back here later with two hours of live coverage. Presumably, we will find out who's fourth in line for Virginia governor. In, in, because now we've gone through the, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the AG. So pretty much it's just a random dude walking around in Alexandria today is going to be governor of Virginia. So that's really exciting. They should just hold like a lottery or a sweepstakes or something. They should, they should actually, I think they should just maybe pick a person out of a crowd. It'd be like the Hunger Games. We'll actually just have a lottery and then we'll see who, who gets picked. Pretty awesome stuff in Virginia. We'll bring you all the updates later. This is why you should subscribe. If not, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Yesterday on Daily Wire Backstage, we had a blast reviewing the State of the Union address. There were drinks, there were cigars, there was mockery, all sorts of the stuff that you are looking for in any analysis of the State of the Union address. Go check it out. That was yesterday on Daily Wire Backstage. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.